and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Everyone, how are we all doing? Good, good, good to hear, good to hear. What up? <laughs> Love that. Um, well, I am Jeff. I, uh, I'm your worship and spiritual growth pastor here at Bent Tree, um, and if you don't know what that means... That's cool. You're in good company. I don't necessarily know all the time either. So come talk to me after service. We'll figure it out together. But welcome to Bent Tree Church, everyone. We're so glad to have you here today. Um, and we'd love to get to know you better. Um, if you if you don't get that feel from our church, I want to say it right now. We would love to get you to know you better. Um, come grab a coffee and a donut with us after service. Um, let us be your church family. We'd love to come alongside you wherever you're at in your walk, even if you're just kicking the tires of faith. Um, I like kicking tires too, so let's kick tires together. What do you say, guys? All right. Well, I want to really, I really want to get into our message quickly, but I got to take care of a few housekeeping things uh, before uh, we get really started, and uh, I just want to do it right now so I don't have to stop in the middle of my talk. So the first thing I want to mention is that D3 conference. Paul mentioned it. Um, how many of you guys are excited for it? Yeah. Me too. I can't wait. Um, and how many of you are registered for it? Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but would you please go on the line and register if you're thinking about coming? We would love to make sure we have enough breakfast burritos for all of you. So uh, make sure you go online there and register. And um, But more than that, I should say, um, <laughs> it's not about breakfast burritos for me. I'm telling you, I think this conference is going to change lives. Like, no joke. I really believe in this thing. Um, and I think you're going to come away inspired and equipped and ready to run through a brick wall to make disciples. And hopefully we'll show you how to avoid running through some brick walls, okay? Um, that's kind of painful. I've had that happen. So please check it out, even if you're busy next Saturday, because um, truly there is nothing more important than this, than the mission that Jesus gave us when he left this earth. He told us to go make disciples of all nations starting with the people closest to us. And I'm telling you guys, um, I'll express the need for them. There are tons of hurting and lost people in your immediate sphere of influence that are just dying for you to get in the game of making disciples. So, we going to see you there? All right, all right. Well, let's keep on going here. I also want to take a second to talk about our Bent Tree Bible reading plan. Bible beeping plan. <laughs> anyway, our Bible reading plan. Uh, you remember the last time I was up here? It was the 2nd of January. Our New Year's resolutions were going strong in that moment. And uh, so many of us stood up that Sunday uh, to commit to reading through the Bible in a year. So it's February 27th. How are we doing on that? Some of you guys, all right, I'll take it. That's awesome. If... However, you're not doing so good on that. Um, today's a new day. If you're behind, if you're off track, just join in with us. Uh, get back in the saddle. Come read the Bible through us, uh, through the Bible with us. And I'm going to give you something right now. I give you my pastoral blessing to go ahead and skip the book of Leviticus. Okay, can I get an amen for that? <laughs> All right. Um, but seriously, come and join us. We're in uh, Numbers right now and uh, Mark, and it's awesome. Today in our Bible reading, we saw Moses beat the snot out of a rock with a stick. Like, you can't make this up. It's cool. So um, make sure you're, uh, you're getting in that. Um, and I'm promising you, God will open your eyes like never before if you fix your eyes on his words. So no judgment. Just jump right in with us where we're at and read through the Bible with us. And uh, lastly, 
Got an announcement for you parents. Um, I know many of you attend the 9 a.m., but however, if we, if some of you are parents and you're at this service, we're glad to have you. A lot of parents will bring their kids to this service and sit through this one. That's awesome. Uh, here's the announcement for you, though. Go and fill out that survey I sent you. So I have all of our parents as a part of our um, church um, and affiliated with our Generations program. I sent you an email. So go fill out that email. That's going to equip us to, uh, yeah, to do ministry going forward for you all. And I want to say right now, I see some babies. We love babies. Babies in this church. We love crying babies, all right? That means we get a chance to disciple them up into lifelong Christ followers, and we're committed to that here, all right? You've heard Paul say it. Hear me say it, all right? One of our values here is generational faith, all right? We don't just see little babies as uh, something that annoy us during service. Not at all. It's not like that at all. Uh, we see the potential, just like God does when he looks at your babies. So I'm telling you guys, um, we care about babies. Help me help you if you're a parent and fill out that survey. Sound good? Okay, that's all my announcements. Let's pray and let's dive into God's word. Amen. Amen. Dear Jesus, come speak to us today. Come teach your way and help us to obey. Help us to live out your commands. Help us practice what you preached and help us to never be hypocrites. And God, when we fail, show us that your grace is real. Show us how to humble ourselves to your kingly rule and show us how to die to ourselves and live for you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, where do we leave off? Um, Pastor Paul's been preaching through John for a little over a year now, and I've been preaching through Matthew whenever I get up here. Today I'm going to be in Matthew 23, so you guys can go ahead and turn there right now if you've got your Bibles. I'll give you a second to turn there, and I'll talk to you a little bit about what Matthew is. Matthew is a gospel. It's a biography of Jesus' life. And there are four of these Gospels to start off the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, those are not the names of the Beatles, all right? Those are the Gospels. They are the eyewitness accounts of everything Jesus did while he was here on this earth. And Matthew was written by a Jewish tax collector. He was an accountant of sorts. And you'll see he's got a thing for numbers and kind of documenting every last detail in Jesus' life. Which is different. It's a slightly different than John's perspective. John, uh, Paul's been preaching through. John's this older theologian, all right? He's a fine, finely old seasoned pastor in his 80s, um, probably. And his uh, gospel's filled with these big, long speeches, all right? They're simple and didactic in nature. They read just like sermons, uh, John's great for, uh, for learning Jesus' theology, like his view on God, which is good, because if you want to know what God looks like, look no further than Jesus. But Matthew shows us Jesus through a little different set of eyes, all right? Whereas John was written by an older preacher with a long gray beard, probably, all right? Matthew was written by a younger guy that's a little bit more detail-oriented. So I think it's fitting that Paul gets John and I get Matthew when I get up here. And you guys are going to see that Matthew's got a real distinct Jewish flair in his gospel. You've got to know some things about Jewish history and culture as you're reading it uh, to understand what Jesus is driving at in Matthew's gospel. So um, let's go ahead and open our text for the morning. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses of Matthew 23. And I'm just going to take my time walking through here, kind of giving you that Jewish perspective. Um, because I want you to know what Jesus was saying to these first century religious leaders. And moreover, I want you to know what he's saying to you today. Um, so we're going to read our whole text for the day, but we're going to do something just a little bit different. While I read God's word, you guys are all going to be standing, but uh, I'm going to be sitting. So it's a little bit different. I'm grabbing a chair. Sorry. <laughs> he's like, don't call on me. I'm not ready. <laughs> You're good. Actually, you preached really good this last week. Um, anyway, so here's the deal. Um, I'm going to sit, you guys are going to stand, and we're going to read this passage together and just go with me here. I've got a reason for what I'm doing. So everyone, let's go ahead and stand up right now. Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. 
I could get used to this. This is comfy. All right. Warning against hypocrisy. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is God's word. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. I'm going to stand up. Because that's how we do things here, right? Um, I promise I'll talk about why I did that in a second. But let's back up a little bit, and let's talk about uh, the context of our text today. So, uh, going back a few chapters, Matthew 21, uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem like a king. All right, that week of Passover, and the religious leaders of the day, they're having nothing to do with it. They can't stand this rural preacher that's been making waves all over the Jewish uh, countryside, and so they're ready to humble him. So at the end of Matthew 21, they start their inquisition. They start interrogating him in front of the people. They ask him all their hard questions as he's coming to the temple courts uh, every morning for a week. And after a week... What has Jesus done? He has silenced them. All right? He has rightly responded to all of their riddles. He's flipped every one of their phrases back onto them. And he's made all the smartest teachers and lawyers of the day look kind of silly. That cross-examination is what we saw in Matthew 22. And now we're going to see Jesus go on the attack. Or as the kids like to say, he's going to put the religious leaders on blast. Is that what they say, kids? No? Nope. Delaney's going, nope, that's not what they say anymore. Okay, I won't say that anymore. Anyway, verse 1, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So, as Jesus goes on the attack, he turns to the crowd and he starts off his attack by doing something really unexpected. He acknowledges the authority that all the religious leaders have. And he does this by saying, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit where? They sit in Moses' seat. And by saying that, he's saying they have authority. Because you see, back in those days in ancient Israel, when you went to the synagogue, you would stand, sometimes for hours on end, while the teacher sat and taught. Can you guys imagine that? Can you guys going mad? Can you imagine going to church and standing the whole time? All right. But the preacher, uh, the teacher, the rabbi would be sitting up front in a chair on a raised platform. And now you guys understand what I was doing there, right? Um, why I had you all stand while I read God's word and I sat because that's what they did in ancient Israel. And moreover, whoever was sitting, that person was the authority. Like think of it as a judge sitting on a bench, right? That person has authority or uh, in academia, we call them the department chair, Right? Or in business, we call them the chairman of the board. Right? So recognizing that they were in Moses' seat was recognizing their authority. And, and this is cool because Jesus, in his entire time on earth, he always recognized and submitted to his earthly authorities. And if Jesus submitted to his earthly authorities, what does that mean for us? We too should submit to, should, we too should submit and respect all the authorities over us. Again, um, we got to respect them and submit to them. And it's kind of a hard word for us to hear at times, isn't it? 
It's definitely a hard word for me. Like growing up, my parents told me I had a problem with authority. And I was like, no, I don't. You do. Anyway, doesn't work, right? When you're a kid. Initially, though, I think I fell in love with Jesus because I saw him as like this rebel rouser, right? I saw him as a revolutionary that stuck it to the man and raged against the machine. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't actually rage against the machine. The more you read the Bible, right, you find out that he submitted to the machine, right? And he didn't stick it to the man. He let the man stick him on a cross. And here we see Jesus, even while he's calling out the religious leaders for their hypocrisy, he's recognizing and respecting their authority. So question, guys, are you submitting to all the authorities in your life? Consider your boss at work. If you're a student, consider your parents. Um, Consider the way you view your government. Ouch, right? Are you submitting to all the authorities God has placed over you? Jesus respected authority. So should we. Verse 3, you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Here's the deal. The religious leaders and the Pharisees, they knew the law backwards and forwards, inside and out, like the back of their hands. They knew all 613 laws of the Old Testament, and they were ridiculously meticulous about following every single one exactly as it was written. Every single one. But... They miss the forest for the trees, right? Because if you look at the Old Testament, you see the whole thing points to Christ and their, their inability to keep all 613 of those laws, it should have pointed them to their need for a savior. But they missed it. They were too focused on establishing their own self-righteousness and ultimately they didn't practice what they preached. And if I could give you one point for all of today's sermon, it's right here, practice what you preach. For those of you guys filling in the notes on the Bible app, like how many of you, when you saw that blank, practice what you blank, were you like, huh, I wonder what he's going to put there, right? You all know that we should practice what we Exactly. Everyone gets this as humans. We're born with this innate sense of right and wrong, and we all have a really strong beep, 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 beep. We have a strong hypocrisy detector, right? Um, it ruffles our feathers more than anything when someone doesn't practice what they preach. And I've, I've got a story to prove it. Uh, this last week, my daughter, Natalia, six, uh, six years old, she says something to me. She says, Dad, you have a phone voice. I have a phone voice? What do you mean? And she says, well, yeah, you'll be telling me and Maya to do something. And then when someone calls on the phone, you turn on your phone voice. Ouch. She's six and she sees this. She sees the hypocrisy in me. She can hear it in my voice. And it's something every one of us have. Maybe you don't have a phone voice, but every one of us wears a mask at times, right? Every one of us knows what hypocrisy looks like because we've seen it in the mirror, all right? Every one of us is a hypocrite in some way. And though there's no I in team, there's definitely an I in hypocrisy. Again, there's no I in team, but there's definitely an I in hypocrisy. So if I could title this sermon, it would be this right here, hypocrisy. That would be the word because nothing else will destroy your credibility faster. Nothing else will make you more disliked among your friends and family. Nothing else will destroy a church quicker than this, hypocrisy. Something we all deal with, whether we like it or not. This word hypocrisy comes to us from Greek. A hypocrite is what they called someone who uh, acted in their ancient dramas, right? Um, they were the people that performed in the hippodrome. So hypocrite became synonymous with actor. It was someone who pretended, someone who wore a mask, someone who was trying to be something different than their actual persona. 
That's what a hypocrite is, and that's what all of us are in some ways. But here's the deal. I'm not ignorant. I know that as soon as I said we're all hypocrites, I lost some of you right there. As soon as I used that label, you checked out. You said, that's not me. I'm not that. I'm not a hypocrite. Because here's the thing. As soon as I put a label on something all of us do, some of us, we want to zone out. All right, because we don't want anyone to label us but ourselves. And so I think it's really interesting that right after Jesus tells everyone in the crowd not to be hypocrites, right after he says, you got to practice what you preach, he goes into the basics. He defines it for us. He shows us exactly how the Pharisees and religious leaders were hypocritical. And in doing so, he's going to show you and me how we're also hypocrites at times. Verse 3, you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They're hypocrites. And here's what they do. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders. So do you see how Jesus starts defining what hypocrisy is? Do you see where he launches his attack? Right after he calls out hypocrisy, he calls out the unweighty, or the weighty, unbearable, impossible expectations that they put on others. And yeah, he's going to call out the religious leaders for this double standard, and that's good, but here's the truth. It's not just them he's calling out, because all of us have standards of what's right and what's wrong. Yeah? We're all quick to look at others and make unspoken judgments on their behavior, right? All of us (laughs) expect others to live up to our expectations. That's why we call them expectations, right? Um, But this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says heavy, cumbersome loads. The Pharisees were known for telling all the people how to act, how to respect the Sabbath, how to make sacrifices and earn their way into heaven. And they just backed up and dumped all their expectations Onto others. And if there's anything we know as humans, it's the crushing weight of other people's expectations. Right? And don't get me wrong, it's not like all expectations are a bad thing, but expectations can be absolutely crushing when you can't meet them. And they're even worse when the person expecting them of you can't meet them themselves. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands right now, because I know every hand would go up in this room, but ask yourself. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by the weight of what others expect of you? Like maybe you've even felt crushed by the weight of your own expectations for yourself, right? Take a minute right now. I want you to feel the weight of those expectations on your shoulders. You moms out there, have you ever felt just absolutely flattened when you look at other moms, maybe on social media, in the car line, and you just feel these massive, impossible expectations on everything you're supposed to do? What about you students? Have you ever felt crushed by the weight of your own anxiety? The stress you feel trying to please your bosses or your parents and your coaches and your friends and yourself and your guidance counselor? Think about you working guys out there. The expectations your boss puts on you. The expectations your family puts on you. The expectations you put on you. Heavy and cumbersome is a nice way of putting what we feel, right? of describing those overwhelming expectations because they're like elephants that just sit on our chest and we can't get up, right? Pressure like a drip, drip, drip that'll never stop. Encanto, anyone? Anyway, okay. But it's true, right? Um, Here's the issue. The Pharisees and the religious leaders are piling up these expectations on their followers without practicing what they preached and they were demanding such perfection of the people that they were all absolutely squashed under the weight of their demands. And that's what Jesus is calling them out for. But Christ is also calling us out if we're putting those kind of expectations on others. He's calling you out if you're putting those kind of expectations on yourself. 
Guys, if we as Christians are more known for putting heavy millstones around people's necks and demanding perfection in their conduct, then Christ is calling us out too, because that's what a hypocrite does. A hypocrite demands perfection without looking at themselves in the mirror first. A hypocrite thrusts their expectations on others and judges them mercilessly when they don't meet their demands. Hypocrisy is the audacity to demand perfection from a den of corruption. Again, hypocrisy is the audacity to demand perfection from what place? From a den of corruption. I'm not saying we shouldn't correct sin. We've got to correct sin. But I'm saying that we've got to make sure we're without sin when we do so. And when we correct others, we should correct them in the same way we want to be corrected. So, how do you want to be corrected? I don't know about you, but I want to be corrected mercifully. All right? When someone comes and tells me what I'm doing wrong, do it with mercy. And that's how we ought to be doing it. But honestly, one level or another, we're all hypocrites because we're all guilty of judging another of something that we would overlook in ourselves, right? We're all guilty at times of expecting from others what we ourselves can't live up to. And we're all guilty of putting on a better face to others than what's actually true of us. But there is a truth that sets us free from hypocrisy. I want you to check out how Jesus kind of hints at this truth in the second part of this verse. So the second part of Matthew 23, verse 4, he's going to hint at the gospel here. They themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Are you guys starting to see? Can you see it yet? I hope you do. Here's the deal. A hypocrite, what does a hypocrite do? They put heavy, overwhelming demands on another without first fulfilling those demands themselves. And a hypocrite would never help another, all right? Help someone else who's crushed under the weight of expectations. But Jesus, what did he do in his life, friends? In his humanity, he carried the weight of every single expectation that the law could put on him. He met every demand of righteousness and he lived up to the perfect standard of life that no one else could live. And then what did he do after he lived that life? Well, then he moved heaven and earth to help you. He didn't just lift a finger to help you. He lifted a cross to save you. (laughs) He lifted a cross to save you. Can I get more than one? Amen. Guys, he didn't do it against his will. He served you willfully, even joyfully. And he sacrificed it all to forgive you of all the ways in which you have failed to meet the expectations of a righteous God upon you. And that's good news. That's the gospel truth. That's why we sing and worship. All right? Because God in Christ met every demand of righteousness and he gave his life to give you his righteous standing before the Father. And that's some good grace right there. Hmm? All right. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And some of you just went, what's a phylactery? (laughs) I love Paul's jokes. I'm going to tell it. Sorry. Um, He said he had his phylacteries move when he was 12. That's not a piece of, like, anatomy, all right? Phylacteries were these little, like, leather boxes that uh, Jewish religious leaders would put, like, um, they'd put, like, scripture in there, and they would tie them up on their head or on their left arm, all right? These little uh, leather boxes. And you guys can think of it like me and Paul walking around with big old Bibles tied on our forehead, and you guys just see us and they go, ooh, 
Those guys are holy. Oh, but look at Paul's Bible. It's so much bigger than Jeff's. He must be really holy, right? His is in Greek. Whoa. You see how kind of silly this becomes really quick, right? And then when you look at the, uh, the tassels piece, that's actually um, a reference to, there's a kind of obscure passage in Numbers 15. So if you guys have been reading through the Bible with us, you saw it on Friday, all right? You saw this reference about tassels on your garment to remind you of following the law. And here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with these external things, right? Like we want you to bring your Bible to church. We want you to tell others that you're a Christ follower. But these things can hide, these externals can hide a false motivation, right? Notice, everything they do is done for people to see. Having religious t-shirts, maybe having a verse tattooed on your arm, or even a fish sticker on your car. Like there's nothing wrong with those things. But if you're doing it to be seen, you better watch out. Matthew 6, 1. Go back a few chapters and you'll see Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you're doing it to be seen by them, what do you do? You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Again, no reward and no blessing from heaven for these external shows of obedience. And yes, our church, hear me. You should let your light shine in front of others. All right? But God sees the heart behind all of your external demonstrations. If you're doing it to be seen, let me be clear. It's doing you no good with God. Moreover, God is very much opposed to the proud. So to summarize, like you can have these externals when it comes to your faith. You can wear the Christian jewelry. You can post that spiritual stuff on Facebook. But if you're doing it to be seen, you better watch out because the one who sees every motivation of your heart will judge you at the end of times. Let's keep going. Verse six, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seat in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. And I highlighted a few words in these two verses because they just jumped out at me. Honor, importance, respect, being called rabbi. I've got to ask you guys, is there anything wrong with these things? Like, are these bad things to desire? Like, is it a sin for me to desire honor and respect? What's wrong with me being called teacher or pastor, right? What's so bad about being important? Well, like if I were a teacher right now, I'd actually have you like turn and discuss this with a partner, right? And maybe you guys can discuss this question in your D3 group, but seriously, is there anything wrong with our innate desire for honor and respect? I think the key to understanding this passage comes at what Jesus says right before these things. Look at this. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. What do the hypocrites love? They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. What is it they love so much? Well, more than anything else, they love honor and respect. They love being important. They love their titles. And that's what Jesus goes on to condemn in verses 8 through 10. Check it out. Verse 8, you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father for you have one father and he is in heaven. And nor are you to be called instructors for you have one capital I instructor, the Messiah. Now, (laughs) quick note here. Students, don't take these verses as a justification to start calling your teachers by their first name. All right? That will not go well for you. All right? And don't take this as like a reason to say, oh, dad, I can't call you father anymore. Jesus says so. So that's what I think about that, Bill. No, you can't do that. It's not. I'm assuming someone's got a dad named Bill. Anyway, um, I don't want you to misunderstand Jesus here. 
Um, he's not saying there's anything wrong with titles in themselves, but he's saying that when you use your title to elevate yourself more than someone else, like that's what's wrong. All right. He's saying that what we love about our labels, that's very dangerous. It's human nature to love, honor, and respect. It's natural to like being important and it's completely fine to want to be called by some label that you've earned for yourself, but loving your label that's going to stir up a self-righteousness in you that's just downright sinful. We cannot be in love with our labels. When we hang on to our titles that distinguish us from others, we begin to see ourselves as better than them. And Jesus will have none of it. Period. Why? Because his cross has leveled the playing field for everyone. So I've got some questions for you just to examine your heart when it comes to the titles and the labels that you hold dear. For my student-athletes, do you love telling people that you're a starter, that you're on varsity? Or do you look down on yourself when you don't have that label? For those of you in a relationship, do you love telling people that you're so-and-so's boyfriend or girlfriend? And what about those of you who work for a living, those of you um, who've got a title at work? Do you love telling people you're a sous chef or a CPA or that you're the assistant to the regional manager? What about the title? <laughs> Someone snorted. Um, what about the titles you get when you're a little older, though, friends? Think about these titles. Titles like homeowner or registered Republican or Democrat. Or maybe you're even proud of your title, retired. And think about some of the titles that you hold dear. Titles like stay-at-home mom. Or maybe you consider yourself a good provider, right? Or even a good husband or a good wife. Guys, the list goes on and on. And if I didn't say one of your labels that you Take pride in, go ahead and fill in the blank right now. And if I said your title, sorry, I'm not sorry. Because seriously, if your love for your label makes you think you're above someone else, you're in sin. And I'm not saying it's bad to aim for that varsity spot. That's a good thing. Aim for that varsity spot. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to add some initials to your name. And I'm not saying you shouldn't work hard to honor God with the great things you're doing in your life. But what I'm saying and what Jesus is saying is that the love of being self-important, the love of our labels is dangerous. And you may be saying, but I like the labels I've earned. I've worked hard for them. I deserve them. And this is something I've wrestled with too recently. Like, do I care too much about my title as pastor? Like, am I offended when people don't call me, like, don't treat me with respect like a capital P pastor? Do they recognize my ordination process? What about all the hard work and sacrifice that goes in between Sundays? Why don't I get the respect I deserve? Guys, I get it. I really do. What we, what we earn honor and respect for, it matters to us, right? I care about what people call me. You care about what people call you. We all care about what people call us. But here's where the gospel meets our love for labels and respect. Christ had a title too. He had all the dignity and glory and majesty the universe could afford to give him and even more before he came to this earth. And then he set all of it aside and he came to this earth as a baby. He lived a poor, humble life as a carpenter and a traveling rabbi. And then he died a criminal's death. There's a label. A criminal's death on a cross for no wrong he committed. He died for your wrongdoings and my wrongdoings and he suffered rejection and shame and scorn from the very ones he came to save. Jesus had a title. As God, he deserved all the worship and praise that heaven and earth could muster. He was entitled to it. But what did he do with his title? Let me just read from Philippians 2. 
who, speaking of Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, here's a title for you, nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue and confess, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You guys see what title the son of man took upon himself. It wasn't your honor, your majesty, or even sir. It was servant. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Though Christ was entitled to the worship of every single atom in the entire universe, he submitted himself to all and he set it aside. He set aside what he was entitled to and he took on the title servant. And it's not just him that submitted and sacrificed. Uh, go back one chapter. You'll see it right there in Philippians 1. How does Paul introduce himself? Paul and Timothy, apostles? No. Paul and Timothy, greatest missionaries of all time? No. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's his title. When it comes to titles, it's okay that you want to be known as a good dad. It's okay if you want to be called doctor or PTA president or valedictorian. But there is one title that we Christians have got to take Above all others, it's the same title that Jesus took, servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Looking at verse 11, guys, the desire to be great isn't a bad thing. It's not a sin in itself, but it's all about how we go about becoming great. Like, look at the text to see what God says himself. You want to be great? Be a servant. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. Even Christ, God in the flesh, he took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And I'm telling you, there is a truth that sets us free from hypocrisy. And it's this right here. It's the gospel. That if you humble yourself to help others, you're just like Jesus. All right? No one calls you a hypocrite if you're more concerned with helping others than you are with heaping your expectations upon them. Seriously. Like, what do you think you're going to be called if you help and serve and sacrifice just as Christ did? Well, what did God give Jesus as a result of his sacrifice? He gave him the name that's above every name. God gave him glory because he served sacrificially. Guys, you've heard me say it before, but I'm going to say it again. What's the price of glory? What's glory's price? It's sacrifice. Sacrifice is glory's price. Now, yes, you can and you should rest in Christ. All right? And you should enjoy the good things in your life. All right? But Christians, at one point or another... And I look around this room and I know it's true. <laughs> you can look around this room too and you can see there's sacrifice here, right? We Christians, we're going to be called to pay the price at times. We're going to be called to sacrifice. And if we preach Christ crucified, we're going to be called to practice what we preach. We're going to have to practice taking up our cross daily, dying to our own desires for the sake of others. We're going to be called to sacrifice our time and talents and treasure to serve the people around us. Because if you're in Christ, you're sacrificed. Because that's what your Savior did for you. And I want to be clear, guys. Like, hear me now. 
We don't serve to get our way into heaven. You could never serve your way into heaven. We serve because Christ came and served us, and he invites us into the joy of serving others with all that we are. Um, My three-year-old looks up to my six-year-old, all right? And I know in this room, everyone's got someone looking up to them, all right? All of us are leaders in some way, And every one of us has people watching what we do, just waiting to see, are we going to cling to our honorific titles? Are we going to demand respect and honor? Are we going to set heavy expectations on others? Are we going to set heavy expectations on ourselves to be perfect? Or are we going to sacrifice like Christ? Leaders sacrifice. They pay glory's price joyfully. And they serve and they die to themselves and they take up their cross daily just to see the people around them saved. So I'm begging you, church. And I'm not begging you because I want something from you. All right, I'm begging you because I want something for you. I want you to know the joy of being a servant. I want you to know the joy of sacrificing just as Christ did and joining him in his loving pursuit of the world because there is no greater purpose that you'll experience in this life than living for Christ, than sacrificing for him. So I want to end today by telling you a story. This is the story of Bent Vine, not Bent Tree, Bent Vine Baptist Church. Uh, Bent Vine Baptist Church was everything you could dream of in a church. It had biblical preaching that inspired actual life change, worship that moved the heart and soul. It had next generation ministries where kids were falling in love with Jesus and this church. And it had a real community of people that knew each other deeply and cared for each other genuinely. But Bent Vine was so much more than that. All right, Grandparents would be there worshiping alongside their grandkids. And everyone seemed to grasp the mission and vision of why they were all gathered. There was a true feeling of solidarity and unity. And it was tangible. Because Bent Vine Baptist Church, it was a beautiful people. And so they built a beautiful architecture to match their... Um, well, to match what there was going on in their hearts. They built this gorgeous stone and brick building in the middle of town with these big stained glass windows. And of course, they were called bent vines. So they had vines growing up all over the outside of the building. And they, of course, they had a sign too. It said, Bent Vine Baptist Church, we preach Christ crucified. It's a good motto, right? But it was more than just some pithy statement that their pastor purveyed every week. All right, We Preach Christ Crucified was a motto that everyone in the entire church lived out. They all sacrificed deeply for the greater good of the church. They all served each other with the love of Christ. And they genuinely, sincerely, wholeheartedly were committed to taking up their personal cross daily and living a life that sacrificed crucified their own desires for each other, just as Christ had done so. Friends, every time their pastor would speak of Christ being crucified, they would all be visibly moved. And it wasn't because their pastor was like a great motivational speaker. They were all moved because this right here was the rock bottom motivation for everything they did in their lives. This value was everything to them. The value of living a humble, sacrificial life like Christ, a life that crucifies its own desire and lives for a kingdom greater than its own. That's what they lived for. They turned down promotions at work so they could have more time to disciple their kids. This right here, this is the reason why they would serve others at church rather than being on the traveling team. All right? This right here, this value of seeing Christ crucified and preaching that, that's why they chose a more modest lifestyle than all their neighbors. They preached Christ crucified, and they practiced what they preached. Again, they preached Christ crucified, and then they practiced what they preached. But such solidarity, 
would not last at Ben Vine Baptist Church because you see, eventually, the vines that they had on the outside, they grew up over the sign. And one of the words in the slogan was slightly obscured. Crucified was obscured. And it just read, we preach Christ. Which, I don't know, it's not all that bad. It kind of matched what was going on in the church. Over time, the church had stopped preaching about Christ being crucified. And they simply preached about Christ and his teachings. They talked about his teachings to love one another, to not judge others. And they mused on the kind of social justice that Christ would bring, all right, if he were here today. But they stopped talking about his death on a cross because it was kind of uncomfortable to talk about sin, you know, like specific sins, like lying and cheating and sexual immorality and greed and anger. They didn't like focusing on how Jesus had to die a bloody death, a brutal death on a cross to pay for each and every person's individual sin. They didn't like talking about him submitting to the Father's will and sacrificing his own desires for good. And so they stopped living for each other. They focused on everything Christ said, and they studied their theology deeply, but they stopped actually serving each other and sacrificing for each other. Though they had lots of head knowledge, there's no connection to their heart and life. And slowly, the solidarity and loyalty faded as they argued about obscure Bible teachings and second-tier issues. And eventually, over time, because they were so focused on other things, they didn't notice that the vines had grown up and covered another word in the sign. Now the sign just said, we preach, which seemed okay. Like, they were focused on preaching well and teaching well, but they kind of forgot what they were preaching and teaching about. But they still gathered every week to hear some good preaching and some good music. They loved their words. They loved using words like love and truth, but they forgot that God is love and Jesus Christ is the truth. They preached concepts and ideas, but they never got to the heart or practice of all these abstract ideals. And eventually, the vines grew up to where the sign just said, we. And that's all the church was really about after time, because it was all about just maintaining that nice stone and brick building for funerals and weddings, right? It's all about fixing those stained glass windows and fixing the pews, even though there were fewer people than ever in the pews. It was all about maintaining preferences and desires, keeping things the way we like them, right? Because it's all about we, right? Keeping the music the way it was back in the good old days, back when they were the grandkids worshiping with their grandparents. But now that they were the grandparents, the grandkids wanted nothing to do with them. No, now it was all about just keeping the lights on and making the mortgage payments. It wasn't about mission and vision at all. It was about maintenance and very little else. And eventually, Bent Vine Baptist closed after one too many preachers came in trying to change things. After all, the people who remembered the good old days were good and dead. All their grandkids were at the megachurch down the street with the flashy lights and the loud music. Eventually, the vines grew up over the word we, and Bent Vine Baptist Church was no more. This was the story of Bent Vine Baptist Church. Will it be the story of Bent Tree Church? Will it be the story of the church in America? Will it be your story? Let's pray. God, we don't want that to be our story. You lived a perfect life that we could not live, and you died the death that we, um, that we deserved, God. And as you were crucified, God, you call us as well. You give us this great calling, this, this great purpose to join you in your mission of rescuing the world. And so, God, I confess right now, on behalf of this church, I confess for myself that I don't always live this. I don't always crucify my own desires. Sometimes it's all about me and what I want. But God, that's not the kind of church I want to have. That's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's not the kind of person I want to be. I want to live for you. 
I want to practice what I preach. God, you were crucified. Help us to live a life crucified to our own desires, to live for you and you alone. And now, God, if there's anyone in here that's feeling the weight of expectations put on them, maybe their expectations they're putting on themselves, God, I just pray that they would know that your burden is easy and your yoke is light, that if they would take your, um, your yoke upon them, that they would know freedom, they would know um, truth, they would know you, God. And if there's anyone in here feeling the expectations that a righteous God puts upon them, A righteous God says, be perfect for I am perfect. Be holy for I am holy. And we all know we can't live up to that. I pray for that person feeling those expectations today that they drop the mask. They'd stop trying to be self-righteous, that they would accept your righteousness. And so if that's you, I just invite you to pray with me. Say, God, I'm sorry for trying to do it on my own. I never could. God, I thank you for giving me your righteousness. I did not deserve it, and there's nothing I could do to earn it. God, you were crucified for me. So I accept your yoke upon myself. I commit my life to you, and I believe in you, Jesus. You are the Son of God. And if you believe in him, friends, you are saved. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things, and everyone said, Amen. You guys can go ahead and stand. Let's worship now as a free people, a people that recognize that God was crucified for us and we did not deserve it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. Let's love him. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.